It's always a good thing for a husband to do that for his wife. Thanks, team. You guys have done a brilliant job. I just want to turn your attention. You know, whenever, on occasions, when we um, children are born into the world, uh, you know, with every child that's born, their parents are very proud and excited. But, you know, sometimes they, they will de- make a declaration in the newspaper and put a picture in there or, or something special like that. You know, when Jesus was born, it wasn't much different. Uh, and I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 1, or chapter 2, I should say, at 11 to 14, and it just says this. If you've got your Bibles, please look there, but it is up on the screens as well. Um, and it, because it's Christmas... Christmas is, well, nearly upon us. And it just says in Luke chapter 2, it says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In other words, wrapped in a cloth, lying in a feed trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on an earth, peace goodwill towards men. There's the declaration by all the angels. He says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards, towards men. Um, I, I love the reality that it, it, it wasn't about, uh, it wasn't even a declaration about Jesus, but it's what Jesus would bring upon the earth when he came. Uh, it was what he would declare. And we see that he was going to bring two things, his peace on earth, and goodwill towards men. Now, you don't have to think too hard about the reality that there isn't a lot of peace on this earth. Would you agree? Uh, The world at the moment, there's there's everything but peace. There's a lot of civil unrest across our world. And so surely the peace that they're talking about is not about the world itself. It's talking about peace in the hearts of men and women. That's where the real peace lies. Who knows that you can be in the most difficult of circumstances and still have peace? And so peace has to be here. And, and then it declares something that's really very special. It says goodwill towards men. And that's something I want to just give a little bit of focus to tonight. Because when Jesus came to, um, from heaven to earth, it was his goodwill expressed towards us. One of the things about Jesus was he was going to display the goodness of God. The goodness of God. The birth of Jesus meant that. God's expression towards humanity for us was to have peace and goodness. And all because Jesus came to live amongst us. And isn't it good news that it wasn't some nasty will from a nasty God, but it was God's goodwill from his very nature of goodness that he expressed towards us. Um, God went on to say, actually, well, the Bible goes on to say in Acts chapter 2 something really deliberate. It says in Acts chapter 10, I should say, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, look at this, with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing what? I just want to say, doing good. He went about doing good and a lot of other wonderful things. But Jesus went about doing good. So the very nature of God was good. And he put that in his son, Jesus. And it was all about him doing good to the earth uh, and on the earth. Um, God reveals himself to people as good. Uh, there's, a, there's a Bible character in the Old Testament part of the Bible called Moses. And uh, God revealed himself to Moses, and this is what he said. He said in Exodus 34, 6, he said, And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, that means patience, and abounding in what? In goodness and in truth. So we even God revealed himself to Moses and to the children of Israel. He was, and when he said, and when 
the Lord spoke this to Moses. He says, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm patient. But you know, there's one thing that I'm abounding in. I'm, and, and I'm abounding in goodness and truth. So it's not just normal. It's I'm abounding in that area. Can you kind of grasp the fact that God is good? Because we declare it, don't we say it? God is good, and all the time, God is good. But the reality is it's true. We serve an incredibly good God. And when he revealed himself to Moses, he declared it way back in Old Testament time. He declared it. And one of the reasons that I find that sometimes that generations of people and people, even Christians, can struggle with the fact that God is good. Because they see a world that isn't good, and they see circumstances happen to us that aren't good. But I want to declare to you tonight, no matter what, there's still that God hasn't changed his mind on how good he is. He, is. he was good back with Moses' day. He is still a good God. And we can struggle with it because we, we see sometimes the opposite of what maybe we think God is. And we can start to think, well, maybe God isn't good. I want to reassure you tonight, and I want to, more importantly, I want you to understand why it is important that we have in our hearts the revelation or the conviction that God is good, because it's vitally important for your future and existence. I want to just show you that. Now, one of the reasons we can struggle with why God we think isn't good is because of a verse that many of us know in Proverbs, and it says 23.7, for as a person thinks in the heart, so are they. Just, just for a moment, give a, bit, a little bit of thought to that. As a person thinks in their heart. It's not as circumstances around you unfold. It's how, as you think in your heart. That's how you are in life. It's, you know, sometimes we think, well, I've been... My life is determined by all the circumstances and situations that bombard me. All the good and the bad. And that's how my life unfolds. No, it's not. It's all about what you think in your heart. That's what really affects your life. And this can be the reason that we struggle with understanding that God is good. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, if you had a, a nice car and someone ran into your car and done $3,000 worth of damage, you know, I've seen some people have, you know, that kind of thing happen to their car. and It wasn't their fault. And yet they just go, it's happened. Got to move on. Can't change it now. Let's... Don't cry over this. Let's move on. Let's get it fixed and move on in life. And yet, I can see another person get a little scratch in their car and all hell breaks loose if World War III had happened and they're so upset. What's the difference between those two people? As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. As a person. So as a person is determined in the heart. And, 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 and the reality is what... The revelation, revelation or conviction in your heart is what you really believe about God and life. And this will determine the shape of your life. The important, if that's important, because the, your revelation determines your expectation. And if your revelation of God is good, then your expectation will be that God will do, do you good and that he is good and he will do good. And so it will change the way you process information. So if you... Um, so. So it's important to understand the way you see God is determined how, what's in your heart. Okay, If I was to say to myself tonight that I don't like myself, so my expectation is that if I don't like myself, other people don't like me. Do you know what I'm talking about? People will, you can think, if I don't like me, 
expectation is, well, maybe others don't like me. And so when I walk into a room and I see two people on the other side of the room, as soon as I walk in, go like this and start to talk behind their hands, I can assume that they're talking about me and so I'll just leave because I don't like me. Why would they like me? And they're probably talking about me. But the reality is it's not what happens to you. It's what you think about what happens to you that affects your life. I'll say it again. It's not what happens to you that affects your life. It's what you think about what happens to you. Because as we know, as a person thinks in the heart, so are they. And the truth is, the two people on the other side of the room when I walked in weren't actually talking about me at all. They were talking about something completely different. But I assumed that they were talking about me. And because I don't like myself, because I have this revelation or this, this conviction that I don't like myself and other people don't like myself, that's the way I'm going to react. I'm going to walk out again. So you can see how you think affects the way you conduct your life and how life goes. And the truth is what you believe and, and think about yourself determines the outcomes in life. Would you understand that tonight? It's so true, isn't it? Um, what happens to you is nowhere near as important as what you think about what happens to you. And why would I be saying this in relation to God's, God is good? The truth is what you believe determines your future. Your convictions about your faith, your convictions about God, your convictions about people, your convictions and revelation about the world, your convictions about your marriage, your convictions about your parents and how you treat them, your conviction of whether you clean your room or not, your convictions about whether you're going to get a license straight up or not. Whatever it is, according to those convictions, life will, so life will unfold. So it's incredibly important what you think. And it's incredibly important that you understand, have a conviction in your heart that God is good. That he's incredibly good. And not lose that conviction no matter what happens, because I want to explain why. Because I think it's possible to fulfill, um, I don't think it's possible, sorry, to fulfill what you've been put on this planet for unless you can have that understanding and conviction that God is good. For the goodness of God is the entrance through which we access every blessing of heaven and everything that God has for us. And no matter what the trial and no matter what the struggle, and when, and when we believe that God is good, we can face it. I dare you to test that out. That when you still, because if you understand that God is good, then it affects the way you see your future. It affects the way we see other people. It affects the way you react. It affects the way you respond. It affects how you do life. It affects everything. And, and how, just imagine tonight, how different would it be if you actually live life continually believing that God is good and God actually loves you? Now you might think, oh, of course I think that. Well, no, 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 no. There's times in your life when you probably deviate from that thought a little bit. But if you continue to believe that God is good and God loves you, how different would our prayer be if we lived like God really loved us? How different would our reactions be if we walked, when we walked into certain situations and dealt with certain issues that we really believed that God still loved us and God was good? How different would difficult news be that we heard if we really believed that God loves us, would still believe that God had the best for us, even though we're facing something that's incredibly difficult, and even though it's a difficult time. How, you know, and we'd believe that when the Bible says all things can work together for good, that we actually said, you know what, I still believe that, that all, not all things are good, but all things can work together for good. To be honest, we find our I believe we'd, try, we'd see our life start to go on, be on the up. And we'd reach some pretty brand new heights, I believe, if we continually lived with the response in our heart that God is good. If I was to take you for a moment just back 
um, uh, to the very first chapters of the Bible, you know, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, 4, you know possibly the story, but Adam and Eve blew it. They, they failed. They, they disobeyed God. And, um, and if there's one thing that you would think the devil would try and do with Adam and Eve and then with humanity is to try and um, actually just um, um, make us believe that God isn't true or that God is just a fairy tale and that he's not really there. And you'd think the devil would be doing that, but he doesn't do that. All we see that the devil tries to do in the very beginning chapters of the Bible is he just tries to discredit God. doesn't try to make him into a fairy tale. Do you know what? The devil doesn't really mind if you believe in God. He just wants you to believe that he is not good. And to discredit God. And to make him, and, and, and to make him out to be a terrible God. Because if you can believe because there's a lot of people out there tonight in this world that have a belief in God, but they don't think God's good. Maybe there's some people here tonight who are struggling a little bit with that thought. Yeah, God's there, but is he really good? Does he really love me? You see, the devil, all he wanted to do was just discredit God. He wanted to bring God down. He, didn't want, he, didn't want, he wanted Adam and Eve to think that God was bad. And, and the reality is, he tries to discredit by, God by saying, Eve, if you eat of that fruit of the tree of knowledge and evil, you know, God doesn't really want you to eat of that tree. You know why? Because if you eat of it, you'll be like him. And God doesn't want you to be like him because God's a big God and he doesn't want you to be big. He wants you to stay small and insignificant, not have a hope and not have a future. So that's why he doesn't want you to eat of it. And if you eat of it, you know, he'll be real. God will be really insecure because God wants to be the only one at the top of the pile. And if you eat it, you will be at the top of the pile with God and all this type of rubbish that, in a sense, I know that. You won't read that in the verses, but there, you could read between the, 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 the lines there in the Bible. And it wasn't what God was saying at all. God didn't want them to eat of that fruit because it would, it would open their eyes and there would be an element of shame and, and, and all the, un, the, the things of disobedience that brought into their life. But the devil just tries to discredit God in Eve's eyes, and of course she eats of that. And the devil doesn't have your best interest at heart. He never has. Because if he can get you to have that revelation, um, to stop you having a revelation that God is good, and uh, if he can get you to have an expectation that's entirely different, and then the way that you process information will be differently, and basically you'll start to believe that God isn't good, and you'll never be able to receive the blessing that God intended, because we'll just not be connecting with our Heavenly Father as he would want it to be. See, how you believe is very important on how you live life. Many times when Jesus was about to heal someone, he would say, do you believe? Do you believe that I can do this? And they'd say, yes. Or some would say, well, not sure. Help my unbelief. You know, they'd be honest. And always God's asking you, what's in your heart? What is the conviction and revelation in your heart about God? Um, so you can have all the promises of God and they can be of no effect because you really really haven't had that conviction or revelation that God is good. And then our expectation will be that nothing good will ever happen to me because he's just not good. And I've discovered that wrong attitudes hijacks anything good that God would want to do in our lives. Um, because I think grumbling doesn't promote an atmosphere of belief and it doesn't allow good things to happen. And uh, so how can, we, how can we expect God... To bless us if we use negative words and 
pretty bad attitudes. Well, we can't. I, you know, it's not that God doesn't want to. It's just that he, he, can't, he, can't, he can't. He'll never force himself upon you. He'll always wait for that invitation. And we, we, when we declare, God, you're good, we give him praise, man, he's there. But, you know, in our hearts, if we're hard towards him, how can he ever be there? I, I want to take us a, a little bit further in Genesis there, because you all remember the first lie the devil sells Adam and Eve is one of the lies is that God has removed himself from them. You know, after they failed and they were disobedient to God and they ate of the fruit, and, 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 and then, you know, the reality was is that um, I think the lie the devil was trying to sell Adam and Eve was, you know, God has removed himself. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. And that wasn't the truth. If you remember, it was Adam and Eve who removed themselves, wasn't it? it took, they took themselves out of the picture and they hid from God and God pursued them. And God continued to pursue them. And, you know, and the truth is that um, the reality is if we think that God is not good, then we, when we do wrong and we do the wrong thing and we sin, and what we can do is we can default to that thought, well, God's going to hide himself from me. He doesn't want to be a part of my life anymore because I've failed. And thus we continue to think that God is going to keep away from us when the direct opposite is actually true. He wants to pursue you. All the time. But if we have, don't have the understanding that God is good, we'll think he doesn't want any part of my life anymore. When we fail, when it's not true, he actually says he wants to be with us. He actually wants to, us to draw, draw near to him and he'll draw near to us. I'm glad that God's love for me is not determined by my fail or success ability. It's determined on his love, which is just love. And he will draw near to us if we draw near to him. What keeps us away from God when we fail or sin is that us, we walk away from him. And so the devil would want to send, sell us a lie that God is uh, not good and he, and he doesn't want to pursue us. It's direct opposite. God pursues us. Do you realize that you know, when Jesus came to the earth, his whole mission was to pursue us? It wasn't about keeping God in heaven. It was about pursuing us in what God wanted for our lives. He continues to pursue us. And the devil feeds you a lie and says, God's not good. He does not interested when you fail, particularly when you fail. And yet, it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance, isn't it? He wants to draw us back. Can you see how important it is to understand that God is good? Here's, a, here's another lie, that God is vengeful. And if you believe that God is vengeful, and you're having a bad week, and you get a flat tire, and you think, well, that'd be right. I knew that, that what I'd done wrong last week, God was just going to get me back for it. Come on. Some of us have thought that. I knew I shouldn't have done that, and God's just getting me back, and we have this happen, and then we blame it, and we think, oh, God, you're just vengeful. You just wanted to get back at me. And we don't ever verbalize that. And, and you know, I want, to, I, want to, I want to say this to you. A lot of us actually don't believe that, but that's the lie that comes into our mind when things go wrong. We start to connect my sin with my problem. And so, oh, is that the God? And we start to connect God with it when it isn't God at all. It's just the, the fruit of what we've done wrong. If you speed continually, there's one day there's a good chance that you're going to get a ticket. Is that right? God didn't do that. And if you get enough tickets, there's a good chance you'll lose your license. Is that right? Yeah. God didn't do that either. You know, and, and so, but there's a lie. The devil's always wants to feed the lie. Oh, 
Well, you know, you're just, you're just getting it. You're just, God's just getting his back on you for what you've done wrong. God is not vengeful. And when you read um, in the Bible, in, the, uh, in Genesis, we see that God wasn't vengeful. God actually, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were naked and they were exposed and they felt, uh, they felt so far away from God. But God actually reached out to them. He took an animal, he slaughtered it, he shed its blood, he took the skin of that animal and he covered them. He made clothes for them so their shame was covered, so their nakedness was not exposed anymore. And he provided for them and he continues to do that because there's a picture of, that's a picture of what Jesus done for us. He came pursuing us and he died himself. No more animal sacrifice. His blood was shed. So our, our sin and, and, and in a sense our nakedness was not exposed that he would cover us and protect us and look after us. And God was neither, he, he, he's neither wanting to get back at us and he's neither vengeful in any way, shape or form. The devil says God is vengeful, but we need to see far from that being, God being vengeful he wants to cover our sin and shame. And the goodness of God covers our mistakes. And the goodness of God does that so that they are no longer seen. They're forgotten about. And God doesn't want us to go back there. Isn't that good? See, the devil doesn't want to convince you that God is not there or that, or that God is a fairy tale. He's not interested in trying to stop you. He just wants to try and convince you that God is not good. Because if he can do that... He can start to erode your faith, erode your life, and help you continue to walk in an area of not knowing God's blessing and God's um, uh, you know, provision for you and that wonderful hope and future. So I want to just declare tonight that your past is past and you've got to stop looking back at it and saying that's what holds me back from the future because it doesn't anymore. Does anybody just want to agree with me? The devil wants to, if you can grasp the reality that God is, what? Good. And see, the moment you're convinced that God is against you, then your expectation starts to drop, and you can start to say, well, I shouldn't have taken that step of faith. I shouldn't have believed. There's no point in trying. Uh, and so you start to settle for a life well below what God has for you. But when you start to take the goodness of God, it's the entrance through which every blessing and everything that God wants for your life will flow. Can you, how could a couple ever be married and continue not to see the goodness in each other? Do you know what happens when couples don't continue to see the goodness in each other, but all they see is the negativity? Separation. <laughs> and you know, there's an opportunity to see all the negativity in marriage. Oh, they do this and they do that and they... Don't pick up their underwear and they leave the top off the toothpaste and all those type of things. But you know what? I tell you what, if you looked at that, you would say, well, I'll go and find someone who doesn't do those type of things. You know, I'm just glad that God doesn't look at us and say, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to bother with you anymore. No, he doesn't. He's committed to the marriage relationship with us. He's committed. Are you committed to it? Because he certainly is. There's a verse in the Bible that David proclaimed in Psalm 27, 13, and he says this. I will see David... Now, just a little background on Psalm 27, verse 13. The background is that David was in, had incredible trials in his life. And I don't have to try and tell you all the detail, but you know, 10 years of um, being chased by his father-in-law. You think you've got 
Some of you think, oh, my in-laws aren't too good. Well, you try David's. Father-in-law wanted to murder him. Wow. And, you know, um, um, chased, uh, lived in caves. Um, all types of things went wrong for David. Um, he's gone through a terrible time, to say the least. And this is what he says in one of those terrible times in his life. He says, I will see, come on, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Through the midst of his trial, David is saying, what, what's happening to me? I'm convinced still that God is still good. I'm going to see God's goodness and I'm going to live through this. It's going to be in the land of the living, not the land of the dead. I'm going to come through and I'm going to see the answers because I'm believing that my God is good. The goodness of the Lord is still going to be my portion and my future. Even though at the moment I've been five years running around the wilderness, I've been, they want to murder me. There's a group of guys who want me dead. Even though my, I've lost my wife and she's, uh, you know, she's gone and married someone else, and even though all these situations have happened, I still believe God's goodness in the land of the living is going to be my portion for my future. Now, I reckon that's a man that believes God is good. And the world isn't so good, but he, God is still good. And I reckon that's a great attitude to have in life. So, what are you going to believe? When the time is rough and the times are tough. What are you going to hang on to? You're going to, don't, don't believe the lie that God is vengeful or that God is not interested or God wants to remove himself from you because that's not the truth. Don't believe the lie. The devil doesn't want to make God out to be a fairy tale and not true. The devil just wants to discredit him in your eyes. Don't believe it. Hang on. And you know, while you're at it, why not even see the best in all the other people around you as well? What a, you know, when you have the, the, the approach that God is good, you have a tendency then to say, you know what? There's a little bit of God in everybody that I can see. And it just makes life so much better. Because there's always an opportunity to point out someone else's mistakes and faults, isn't there? No? There's always an opportunity to pull someone else down. There's always an opportunity to judge. But you know what? I think the person who believes God is good but also believes that, you know what, uh, people are there to be loved and not to be pulled down and destroyed. God is good. And you know, the more of that you have in your heart, the more you'll see, you'll see that life is good. And no matter what you're thinking tonight, that life sucks and it just is no good and all these problems and this is happening, I tell you what, it just takes an attitude because as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Amen. Can we just stand tonight? You mightn't, you mightn't see this, but what I've just shared with you is an incredibly deep piece of theology in Scripture that is continually throughout Scripture from the beginning of Genesis right through to Revelation. And if you could take a hold of that and start to say, Father, just reveal that revelation to me every day. As I look, if you, if you took this week and every portion of scripture you read, you'd see the goodness of God in, in so much of what you read in the Bible. But you've got to be looking for it, haven't you? Because you can just be blind to the truth if you're not looking. Don't read the Bible as just, a, oh, you know, just another book that you read. No, it's a book. You say, Father, give me some truth today, revelation, and you'll discover the goodness of God. Father, let me just pray for you tonight. Father, I thank you for every person here tonight. 
I thank you, Father, that you're, you are good. Uh, Father, that you are... Let it be something that's not just rolls off our tongue and we just kind of say because it's the right thing to say. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But, Father, it would be something that would be in our hearts, in, in our thoughts. It would be a part of our lives. Uh, Lord, that we would realize uh, that the devil doesn't want to do us any good. He doesn't want to do us any favors. He wants to discredit God. Help us not listen to the lie, but to be men and women of conviction about who and what you're about. And Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said? Amen. 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 Thank you, everybody. You may take your seats tonight. Well, you know, tonight we're going to baptize some people and some young people, which is very exciting. Would you agree? It's always good when people... Um, Come, gee, I wish you were that excited when I was preaching. <laughs> you were all just waiting for me to finish, weren't you? No, no, no. <laughs> hey, but um, yeah, as he thinks, baptism is not man's idea; it's God's idea. Uh, New Testament time, Old Testament, New Testament time, before Jesus came, there, there was processes of ceremonial washing that even the Pharisees and, and the priests used to do to go into the temple. And, and while baptism didn't particularly come out of that, the, the Jewish people understood about going underwater or being bathed or, or, or being washed. They understood that process. So baptism, when, Jesus, when a water baptism was initiated for believers, it wasn't a hard thing for them to embrace. And we might think today, well, it seems an interesting procedure or ceremony to be water baptized. But I want to just, just for a moment, I'm not going to take a long time, just a minute or two. The baptism is so, is so wonderful in the sense that, number one, it identifies of Jesus. Jesus went to John the Baptist, remember? And John said to him, you know, um, John said, you should be baptizing me, Jesus. Jesus says, no, this is how it should be at this moment. And if Jesus, who is perfect, needed to be water baptized, how much more do we need to be water baptized who need to repent and walk away from our old lives? So much more. Another thing about baptism, it identifies of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. He was taken from that cross and buried, and then he resurrected. And you know, as we, it says in Scripture in Romans, it talks about, you know, the very thing that we water baptized is that we identify with Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Under the water we go is death. Down there we stay, the burial, certainly not three days. <laughs> and up again we come in resurrected life. Now, does that mean we're going to get everything perfect now? Oh, we, all of a sudden we're perfection? No, but it does mean that we're, that we're saying, Jesus, um, I, I'm identifying with you. Another thing about baptism is going public. It, it, it's standing up and saying, you know what? Um, I just haven't, I've grown up in God's church and I kind of believe in it, but now I'm owning it for myself. Or now I'm, 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 a, I'm a believer that's going to go public and say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so when we, when we go to work and or school or wherever and people say, are you a Christian? You can say with confidence, yeah, I certainly am. Well, that's what we hope your testimony will be. So it's all those things. Um, baptism is for believers. Infants were never baptized in Scripture. 
Let's get it right, hey? It was never going to happen. And we have these wonderful ceremonies called christenings and baptisms of little babies. Uh, You know, babies don't go to heaven when they die because someone sprinkles water on them, folks. They go to heaven because God is merciful. And God loves them. And they haven't come to an age of understanding. And so I firmly, that's what I believe. But you know, as a believer, we have a choice as old enough. And for the four people tonight, they've made a choice, which is exciting, to be water baptized. And that is very good. So what we're going to do is we're going to invite those four people to come. And uh, I'm going to invite Steve to come. And we're just going to have a little bit of testimony time. Is that cool? So uh, I'll just move this. And we'll swap over to another microphone. All those people who are being water baptized, if you could just, um, you could just come forward, that'd be great. You want to grab this for us, Malcolm? Just give them a hand as they come. Brilliant. Here they are. The fact that they're young doesn't particularly mean that this is um, any more special than any other, but it is exciting always when young people make a stand for Jesus. So uh, thanks, Steve. Steve and Simone, and of course Ben and Naomi and Jeff, uh, are great leaders of our youth. And Steve's just going to take through the next section. Thanks, James. Okay, I'll start with Nick. He's the tallest, tallest to shortest. How about we do that? Okay, I'll squeeze in here. So, Nick, you're obviously here to profess your, confess your faith in Jesus, and I'm um, just wanting you to um, talk to these wonderful people about what it is that's brought you here to this point of wanting to be baptised. Um, so I really wanted to move forward with my relationship with God, and when Pastor Ben Natoko came and talked a couple Sundays ago, he talked about... Um, Unbinding what's holding you back. Back, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so it wasn't until then that I realized that to move forward, there was something that was holding me back. And, and I've thought about it for a while, and I realized that it was water baptism. So when the next opportunity came to be water baptized, I put up my hand. So that's why I'm here now. That's awesome. Awesome. Does anyone else remember that message that Ben gave about unkinking? the things that happened back in the past, that way you can move forward. It was a good message. Thank you very much, Nick. I think maybe you've got this one, maybe the hair. But okay, we'll go to Ben-Hur. Um, so what is it that's brought you here to this place um, to want to be baptised and confess that you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you'll submit and follow him? Well, it was um, your message, Steve, that made me think about your about baptismal, when you talked about me that, and I thought of it and said, is there something in my life that I should be with you? Is there, or is there something holding me back? And I found that there was something holding me back, and I prayed to God that he will help me take that away from my life, and he did. So now I'm here. Man, that's awesome. That's really awesome. And that's essentially what you know, Christianity is about is, you know, just seeking God and just saying, help me with, um, find out what it is in my life that I need to unkink or whatever to keep moving forward. So that's really awesome. Okay, cool. Move over here, Isaiah. 
what is it that brought you here? You had a pretty awesome time at Extreme Conference, and that was a pretty, pretty cool time for all of us. So what is it that's brought you here to this point of wanting to be water baptized? Oh, six months ago, I went to Extreme Youth Conference, and um, I feel that uh, God has brought more peace with others to me and um, um, more patience with life and just basically being, he sacrificed his life for my sins. Therefore, I want to start new and with him in control of my new life. So, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> that is awesome. That is really cool. Um, just want to say to anyone, if anyone is thinking about going to Extreme Conference, do it. It's really, really good. Changes lives. It's awesome. Adam and A, the shortest one. <laughs> Lucky last. So what is it that's brought you here to be baptized today? Tell me what you got. Um, when I went away to the youth conference in Mackay, being around all those amazing people and leaders um, just showed me how like, I wanted to be more closer to God and I wanted to have a better relationship with Him. And I felt, I felt that being water baptized would be like the, the next step in, a, in my relationship with Him. And yeah. Awesome. Very good. Cool. Well, let's make this thing public, eh? Let's do this thing. Awesome. Thanks, James. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Steve. So what we're going to do is we're just going to spend about, about three or four minutes. We're going to get changed and we'll come out. And you 